Welcome to a new episode of Lockdown Women's Basketball. We are going team by team, previewing the upcoming WNBA season, and on the line to preview the season for the Phoenix Mercury, we've got Jeff Metcalf. Uh, Jeff, I want to start with kind of, I mean, ultimately this is going to be one of the stories of the season with Diana Taurasi undergoing that back surgery. Uh, you've been around the team a little bit here in the preseason. Just what what has been their reaction to it that you've gotten that you've seen so far? Yeah, you know it's been interesting so far, Ben. Thanks for having me. By the way, um, it's a um, much more positive uh, reaction to this than maybe you would expect, given the kind of season Tarasi had last year, and of course just her overall credentials. But I really believe that um, they, they feel pretty confident that they can, um, I don't want to say tread water, but they, that they can hold their own until, I'm going to say mid-season, she might be back before mid-season, but let's just say the middle of July. And then the, the um, glass half full uh, approach they're taking on this is that if she's fully recovered and healthy and only has to play half the season, then... You know, she's going to be a terror for the last half of the season. Yeah, and and I want so this this kind of holding pattern. They're almost saying while they wait for her to get back. I want to kind of talk about what you think this will look like. And I think you know there there's an obvious three players that are going to be central to everything they're doing: Brittany Griner, Dewana Bonner, and Breon January. And I actually want to start with the latter of that three because you had. Um, an important note this offseason, you talked to her about what had been going on with her shoulder. So for people that maybe hadn't heard about that, can you kind of just give the backstory of that? And we can kind of get into then how her uh, how that can affect her 2019 season. Right. So it was interesting because she basically had her shoulder um, more or less just dislocated in training camp last year, but they kept it quiet the entire year, as far as I know, nobody really knew that she was going through that. And part of the reason for that was that she played all but one game and and for the most part seemed like she was fine. So, you know, nobody was necessarily questioning other than maybe a foot injury that, that she had some issues with that she was having problems with her shoulder. But then she had surgery after the season, and because I cover Arizona State's women's basketball team, of course I saw her in a sling, and I'm, I'm like, what the heck happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, she said, yeah, that happened to me back in training camp. I played all season with it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have known that. And secondarily, how did you do that? And the interesting part was that she told me just recently that she really because of that was much more tentative when it came to, you know, going to the basket, any kind of contact. Um, she, she actually led the league in three-point shooting percentage, so that part was fine, but um, there were certain phases of her game that she didn't feel like she could really take advantage of those or, 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 or even go to those at the way she had in the past. So I think that's going to be interesting. She looks good. She looks healthy. Uh, she has basically given up her job at ASU to go back to full-time full time playing um, after signing a three-year contract with the Mercury. Uh, so she's going to be fully focused on playing for the next couple of years, and um, she's certainly going to be a big part of the early part of the season here with, with Tarazi out. Yeah, and, and I think it's... It, yeah, and when and when you had that story, I, I you know, my, my mouth was just kind of dropped to the floor for a minute because once it was out there, it 
I said, okay, yeah, this kind of makes sense because especially thinking about like the Seattle series, obviously now that we knew it, you know, there there are plays where like, you know, when you're playing in the playoffs, you play the same team a couple times in a row, you know, they take away your main options, someone else kind of has to make a play. And she was really, you know, a, hu- a huge, you know, share of her game was just that spot up role, which she was great at. Um, but now without Tarasi, have you gotten the sense that they are going to ask her to do a lot of that, or will it be more or less pretty similar to the kind of role she had last year? But then she'll have the added confidence well, to think, drive a little bit more. Yeah, and I think the other thing that people uh, probably remember, maybe not, is that she, they basically turned a lot of the ball handling duties over to Tarazi last year, and Jamie Murray was playing off the ball. Uh, that worked out pretty well, and Tarazi had a great season in, in terms of assists, you know, in addition to scoring 20 points a game. Um, Trotsky was healthy all season, didn't, hadn't played overseas um, for half a season, leading into last season, and she looked really good and rested. More, She looked more rested than she had, to me, for several WNBA seasons. Um, so uh, I think you know, you're going to have to see January handling the ball more, and then the question I think is going to be what happens with Leilani Mitchell because um, when it comes down to making roster decisions, She's she does not have a guaranteed contract, and she makes almost a hundred thousand dollars. So there's some sense that you might want to move Mitchell, or I guess even even release her to, to, to help you with your salary cap. But I don't know if they can afford to do that with Tarazi out. So as of right now, I'm expecting it kind of to be a combination between January and Mitchell as far as the ball handling goes for that. Part when when Tarazi's out. Yeah, and and um, you you had a chance to be at that preseason game. Obviously, I, I you know I haven't seen any of it, but just seeing on paper, um, not even the stats or anything, but just that they started Leilani and, and January together. I think that was, I think that was really interesting, and I think that's something um, you know I think Leilani's a um, another player who you know they later let us know was kind of banged up all season and. You know, I'll give you a chance to add some context on that. But also, what do you think of those two together? Because without Tarasi to kind of handle the lion's share of the playmaking, if they can put a healthy Mitchell, a healthy January, and Bonner, it's not you're not going to be the same team as you were with Diana leading the show. But you have three players that teams have to worry about guarding that can all can, that can all make a play. Um, 
they do uh, have Erica Carter coming in as a third-round draft pick. But the one thing that uh, I have a story that's coming out soon here about how he's, how Jim Pittman, the general manager, is going to manage to make these cuts to get down to 12 because they really are loaded with 16 players in their camp. And I'm sure you're going to want to talk about that later, but I just don't know. I think every decision they make is going to be primarily predicated on putting a, a, a team together that can win a championship because I think they believe they can do that. Yes, they want to get younger, but I still think that's secondary to putting a championship team out there. So in my mind right now, I'm still leaning toward them going with more of the veterans um, with a couple of exceptions because I still think that's they, they believe they can make a legitimate run. They haven't won a title since 2014, and I think they were right there last year, and they feel like they can get there this year. Yeah, and you know, I I would agree wholeheartedly with that approach. Well, it obviously is another thing to see how those decisions actually pan out once the games start. But you know, when you have the players, you you have to make the move to go now. You know, you can't say, you know, oh well, you know, Tarasi maybe next year she'll be a hundred percent the whole year. You know, they they kind of do just have to go for it. Um, and well, and I use that in reference to Mitchell too, because if you just wanted to get younger, you could easily make a case that we're going to replace Mitchell. They have eight players that are in their thirties, and you could easily make a case let's replace Mitchell with a young guard and go forward. But I don't know that they're in a position with Diana Diana out that they can actually afford to do that. Yeah, I mean, and and they have they have so many options between guards and wings that they can that they can go to um, one of those, the a prominent new addition, Essence Carson. Um, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit kind of, I guess about like the preceding move to that, where they gave Odyssey Sims that offer sheet and then they end up signing F- Essence. I've kind of maintained that I think Phoenix all along, they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew LA was going to match on Sims no matter what, because they just didn't want to lose her for nothing or whatever it might be. And that Essence was who they targeted all along. I guess, what do you make of that? And just, just how that kind of played out, where they went from Sims to Carson. Yeah, you know, I haven't gotten anyone to own up to that, if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and maybe maybe it was, or maybe they just said, you know, we've got a plan A and a plan B here, and it ended up being plan B. I don't know, I can't tell you 100% that they knew L.A. was going to match. And then, of course, L.A. made the ensuing move with Minnesota regarding Odyssey, so... I don't know. I'm not quite sure exactly what to say on that, but um, I do know that they're happy with Essence, and I do think that she brings, you know, there's another example of somebody that's an 11-year veteran um, that is going to come in here and, and, and add a lot playing kind of, kind of. Uh, I think from a defensive standpoint, I like the idea of January and, and Carson and both what they can bring in their defense, um, and then I think there's a lot, there's some things that we've seen her do with the Sparks that if she can do even some of those here, I think she can be uh, a, a good secondary person on the offensive side of the ball too. Yeah, I, I think I think last year, you know, I, um, being at most of the Sparks home games, obviously Essence is another player that's known for her defense, but um, watching her offensively, she came off that 2017 season where her elbow was really bothering her. Uh, Michelle Vopel ended up having that. 
And you and that was another kind of retroactive thing when you look back to the 2017 finals. It's like, oh yeah, you know, she's she was open there and she passed it up, or you know, she was open for a three there and she dribbled into a really a tougher two when someone was already running at her. Um, but last year, I mean, she was just letting it fly, and she totally changed their season because LA was another team where when you have the star power, you just need someone that's going to shoot when they're open. Like just take those shots and be somebody that can make them, and that's obviously valuable to them. But you know, when they run into teams with two players, you know, they have two people, you know, if Atlanta gets healthy, you can throw January and Carson at Hayes and Angel McCautry. And to be able to do something like that is really valuable for them to have just, you know, kind of absorbed her in free agency. Um, and then another name on the wing for Phoenix, um, Steph Talbot, I guess, how do you think Essence Edition could impact the minutes available to her? And not necessarily to get into the whole starting thing, because I think a lot of these players are going to play, but how do you think that affects uh, Talbot's outlook for the season? Well, Talbot's an interesting person, too, because it, when they did move Bonner to the four, then for quite a, quite, I wouldn't say a long period, but, but for you know a few games in there, Talbot was starting at the three, and actually, it's only your second season in the league. People forget that. And I thought she played pretty well um, in the latter part of the season and the early part of the playoffs. And then she had an injury, and then they kind of, worked Yvonne Turner in at that point. <laughs> and in the Seattle series, Turner was, was kind of the key uh, figure for Phoenix. But, um, you know, again, Talbot's 24. I think she turns 25 this season. To me, she's made enough progress. She's a very affordable player. And I, I just think she's a player you still want to have on your team. Um, I... You know, obviously she's Australian and she's got connections with Sandy Brondello from the Australian national team, but I don't think that's going to be a deciding factor. I think they'll make what they believe to be the right decisions, but I do believe that Talbot will be on the team, and I think at, at 6'2", 6'2", wing player, she can. She made enough of a breakthrough last year that I think I would expect her to build on that and, and be another, big contrib- uh, another decent contributor this season. Yeah, I mean... I mean, on Talbot, um, even going back to the Connecticut game, you know, so much of the attention coming out of that was obviously like the the Instagram post and and Tarasi's post game interview, and just the you know the enormity of that that record that she had built in those winner take all games. But you know, Talbot had a key a key three above the break in the fourth quarter. Like, if she doesn't make that shot, like Phoenix might not have won that game. Because again, like as good as Tarasi, Bonner, Griner are, like. They are very, you know, if if a defense locks in, they're this team is still very dependent on those other two players, you know, making their open shots, and and she just knows how to play. Like she's a solid defender, um, you know, not not great, maybe not on like Essence's level, but like even against like a Chelsea Gray, Angel McCautry, like she just doesn't get run over, and like that in itself is really valuable. Um, she's a really good cutter. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting too with the addition of Alana Smith. Uh, uh, they they look a lot alike, except Smith is two inches taller. <laughs> you know, really plays the four. But it's interesting to see the two of them together. And you you might you might say, well, now that you've got Alana Smith, is a stretch four. Do do you really need Talbot? But I actually think there's room for both on the team. To be honest with you, and um, you know, I see some similarities in terms of, of just that kind of a sort of Australian way they both play and what they both bring to the table and their versatility. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't even think the, um, you know, throw the Team Australia part out the door. I mean, they are, as as far as their role, you know, they are very similar players. It's just one's a three and one's a four. Um, how how has Smith looked to you? And just what have you what have you kind of heard? You know, being around practice with how she's doing early on. Well, to me, she's the she's the uh, rookie that's the most ahead of the four that they of the four that they drafted. Which she would sit here being, you know, that she was the first one taken by Phoenix in the first round. Um, she looks just like you would expect coming out of Stanford. To be honest with you, what she did there, she's doing here. Um, in the first preseason game, they had they have almost all rookies. Um, on the floor uh, late in the game. Calvin was out there too, but they had almost all rookies other than that. And um, they made a 16-0 run in the Sparks and who also were playing majority of reserves, but Sinead was out there too. Um, but I thought Smith, Smith looked like looked the best in the floor. She was blocking shots down low that maybe you would think a rookie would be committing fouls there, but she had, I think, maybe three blocks in that game. Um, you know, her her offensive game, I think it's still going to take a while to adapt at, to the pro level, but I'm confident that she's going to be fine from that standpoint. Um, she obviously can rebound. Uh, it's just, just a, a gritty type player that, you know, they, that's coming out of Stanford, exactly what we saw when she was at Stanford. So um, I like what I've seen from, from, from her quite a bit, to be honest with you. And I like what I've seen from her quite a bit more than what I see from Brianna Turner at this point, who looks a lot a lot more raw to me than than Smith. Yeah, I was I was I was interested to ask you ask you about Turner too. Um what do you what is your sense so far with what they're gonna do with those backup five minutes behind Griner, you know, whatever it might be, you know, eight, ten minutes, because at times last year it, it was it was a black hole for them. And they really struggled to, to figure out the combinations when BG wasn't on the floor to, to be successful. Where do you think they're at in that process? Yeah, well, of course, last year they had Marie Gulich um, and they had Angel Robinson. Neither of them are here now. Um, they traded Gulich for what ended up being Turner, Brianna Turner, and in, in the, during the draft. And I think that's who they want to put there. They want to put Brianna Turner there. And I I think if she come if she can come in there and give them those minutes, especially from a defense and rebounding standpoint, I don't think at this point they're too worried about her offensive game. And I think, like I said, I think it's pretty raw. And it's going to take a while to develop. Um, she is six three, which you know you could say that's a little small to play the five in this league, and I, I, I'm sure in certain cases it is. But because of the amount of minutes that Griner plays, and the one one of the big developments with Griner in the last couple of years is her ability to stay on the court and not get in foul trouble, so she can play those thirty to thirty five minutes. And so I kind of think that's the plan right now. I think the other option, of course, is to take Sancho Little, who was their starting four for the first half of the season last year, and also give give her some minutes at the five if they need to, um, especially with you know, the additions they've made at the four now. So I think that's another option for them um, just in the post generally. Yeah, I mean, hopefully Sancho's back sooner than later. I think, like, you know, her and Smith even 
could be like a pretty good combo when BG's sitting. But I, I think you know the Turner Gulich swap. I, you know, I, I that's one of those that I think it, it made sense for both teams. You know, Nikki Collin in Atlanta seems to you know said that you know she likes that Gulich might be able to give them a little bit of shooting, which is probably theoretical still. But you know, it's it's a flyer for them as a fifth big and and Turner. I, I think I think she makes a lot of sense for Phoenix. I think they can play pretty much the same way that they're going to play with Griner on the floor, obviously that they just can't throw it to her in the post, but if they're going to play high, with high ball screens. And then defensively, I think she can make a lot of plays, but you know, she she is really wiry, she's kind of thin. I think it'll kind of, I think it's going to end up being pretty like there'll be a lot of extremes where she's going to make some unbelievable plays on the perimeter and at the basket, but there will also be times where a player if a player can kind of get into her chest, they might just like bury her all the way under the rim. But you know, it it it's that might be something they have to live with, and I think it might be a worthwhile shot because they do have to keep some of these young players with some kind of vision towards the future. Right. That that's that's definitely for tr- true, and that's where we get back to this getting from sixteen to twelve. <laughs> um, you know, they have uh, the other person they have is Hoff, the uh, uh, undrafted free agent that they signed from Miami. Who actually, I, I've been really interested in her. I, I think she's got potential to play in the WNBA at some point. I just don't think there's any way she can make this roster. So if if you end up releasing Hop and releasing Alexis Peterson, who's, who they also signed for training camp, that takes you to 14 right there. And now the big question is, how do you get down to 12 from 14? And that's going to be a real challenge for them. Yeah, and... Uh, another name I don't think we've we've mentioned yet, um, Camille Little. I think they she didn't play in the preseason game with an ankle injury. Uh, where I guess do you see her place on this roster and her being a guaranteed contract? You know what what is how does that kind of go into these calculations? Yeah, well that's one of the big variables because her contract is guaranteed. They they are right up against the salary cap and. They can't afford to take that kind of hit by letting her go, but there's probably not much of a trade market for her. Um, she's one of the 30-year-olds, and she's been injured for, well, quite a bit of last season. She was playing with an injury, and she's still injured. So it's hard to think that there's much of a trade market. That would be the ideal thing, I think, if they could make a trade for her. Um, but I'm not sure that, that they, really could, they really can do that. Uh, so that's that's a very that's probably the most um, challenging part of this whole roster construction here is what's going to happen with Camille Little. Yeah, and 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 you know the tough thing for her too is like you know the is that you know the these other players that are would ideally be competing with her are capable. Um, you know Smith for certain. Um, it sounds like Turner will more wait and see, but. And then with Sancho too, you know, if with with this whole group healthy, you know, Sancho's going to be at the top of that pecking order. They need her on the court, and I think an interesting place to go with this now is, you know, with um, the Liz Cambage to Vegas stuff kind of being reintroduced to us last night. If that happens, uh, Phoenix by far is equipped better than any other team to guard that potential Vegas team. Because they can throw out, they can roll out Sancho and BG. They can guard both of those Asia Wilson and Liz Cambage one on one, and nobody else can do that. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. We've seen these these grinder Cam Beige matchups before, including including in the playoffs, the first round of the playoffs last year. And as good as Cam Beige is, that's a very tough matchup for her with Grinder. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then, of course, Wilson had a great year last year, but I, I agree with you. I do think that the Mercury has people that they can put out there and, I guess I'd even, even though Bonner's thin, I'd even include Bonner in that, you know, where she's playing in the four like she was in that playoff game I just referenced. So, um, yeah, I mean, going back to the little, the Camille little thing in terms of trying to even get her minutes if she is healthy, they're going to be really hard to come by because it's just, it just doesn't, you just don't, can't see them the way uh, with the other players that they have available now. You just can't, it's really hard to find minutes see her getting minutes, so um, that's why it would be great if they could find a trade partner, uh, but if you can't, you've got that guaranteed contract, which is a little over $100,000, and, you know, with the salary cap being $960,000, you know, that, that that's a big hit right there. You can't afford to absorb by just releasing somebody. Yeah, and, and you know, going back to to Griner, yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's one of the great things that's gone under said is I mean, Griner is Cambage's kryptonite. Like she she gives her so many problems. I mean, there are plays where Cambage buried her under the rim, and Griner is still forcing her to miss because she can still get because of her length, and she can still bother um, can bother so many shots. And you know, like like the the defensive rating got brought up a lot with the Mercury, and you know they're they're their rebounding percentages, they weren't great. But it's like, you know what? Like, when a series starts, and it was the same thing I saw with Seattle last year. Like, if Sancho's on the floor, like, they would just be able to erase one of one of Seattle's pick-and-roll combinations because they'd just be able to switch it. And other teams just right. don't have that option. So, like, you know, it's all the numbers and stuff, like, to a degree, they're all important to pay attention to. But, like, Phoenix has that chess piece. They can go to that. And other teams just can't. And that's why it just... And I don't know if you agree or if you want to say much on this, but, you know, that's to me, like, why it always made sense, like, that they had to make room for Sancho, whatever remote, however remote the possibility was that she would have even been able to come back. Well, I agree with that. I felt like they'd bring her back altogether. I wasn't sure when she'd be ready. She actually got cleared to do almost everything in practice yesterday. Um, which is the beginning of the second week of camp. Now, how quickly they move for a lot, we'll see. But every indication is, at this point to me, that she's going to be ready to play. They, they open against Seattle on the 25th, that she's going to be able to play in that game. Um, and even if she doesn't, I expect her to be able to play here fairly, fairly early in the season. She looks good to me. Um, you know, you're coming off major knee surgery and you want to be careful with her, which the, the knee surgery, I mean, the injury was on June 30th of last season in game at Washington. I forget the exact date she had the surgery after that, but, you know, you're not up to a year yet, but uh, she looks good to me, I've, I've got to say that. I, I'm sure they're going to try to be smart about it, but um, I expect her sooner rather than later to be playing. Yeah, it, it, I, I agree. I hope that they are kind of careful because as, as tough as these decisions are for them with their roster, they still can, I think, I still just think they can survive, you know, because, I mean, you know, they have the guard depth to play Bonner at the four for all of her minutes if they need to. Alana Smith can obviously play at the four. 
and because she's obviously going to be an integral part of their future maybe they try her at the five and then you know if little's around or if turner ends up making it they just you just kind of try to piece it together but i want to go back to the top and and back to griner quickly um what what how do you see this early stretch going out for her i mean has have there been indications like you know we want to ramp up her you know her usage in the post even more is it just kind of going to be just business as usual you're talking about Grinder now? Yeah. Yeah, Grinder. yeah. Um, well, for one thing, um, she looks she looks relatively um, rested, if you want to put it that way, For even though coming off the EuroLeague in the Russian season, she doesn't look, like, beat up or worn down or anything like that to me. So, of course, you know, she's kind of in her prime right now, so even doing the year-round thing, I think she's, she's at the point where she's able to to roll with that pretty well. Um, I believe the last, well, since really Rio, the Rio Olympics, I think she's just taken her game to a different level. I, I really think playing the Olympics was a was, was kind of a big turning point for her in terms of her confidence, uh, uh, just her ability to be more dominant on the court. And she even told me just last week actually I had a conversation with her and she just said something along the lines of you know you come out of college and you think you're all this and then you get to this level even her being as dominant as she was in college and then you just realize you know I really I'm really not there's so much I have to learn and I think that's really what happened all the way up I I almost would say all the way up until you know the the real Olympics and then it kind of seemed like it clicked in for her. And since then, I think she's made steady progress. Um, and, you know, the, the, the season before, I guess it would have been the 2017 season, she was off to what I consider to be playing at an MVP level until she had a knee and ankle injury sometime in July. I think it was and missed like eight games. But up till that point, I thought she was a viable MVP candidate. And I, I think she could be that again this year, especially with Tarazi out for this, you know, up until somewhere in July. Yeah, I, you know, I, I um, you know, her, yeah, since that 2017 season, you know, her numbers have really taken off. And obviously I, I think highly of what she'll do this season. I, I predicted she'll win the scoring title. Um so I won't I won't ramble too much on that. Um, I want to get you out of, on here on a couple more quick things to hit on. Um, first, I want to go back to Vani Turner a little bit. Just you know, she's an interesting player because she kind of you know because Phoenix hat. It's very clear like who the guards are. You know, January Mitchell and Carter. It's clear who the wings are, and then Bonner's there as the three four. But you know, Turner she can handle a little bit. Maybe you know I guess you probably still call her a wing. You know, pretty capable defender. Um, you know, just, you know, what do you kind of make of her, of her spot, um, and where she's kind of at in this competition for a spot? Yeah, she's very interesting, uh, to me because I, I, she is consistently overachieved from what I think she can do. And I think now she, she might be the biggest bargain on the entire team in terms of what she's making and what she brings to the table, to be honest with you. I love her versatility. I, I love her competitiveness. Um, almost everything about her. Um, she has 
just become a uh, Hungarian, uh, I guess, a Hungarian citizen. <laughs> she has citizenship with Hungary now, and she's going to play for them in the Eurobasket uh, competition. So she's going to be gone uh, the latter part of June. And I actually think that actually worries me a little bit, to be honest with you, because I don't think Toronto is going to be back yet then. And with Turner gone, I think that's actually... I think that's actually a fairly substantial negative for them to miss her during that, say, week, week plus period, depending how far Hungary goes. Well, yeah, and, and do you think that, I mean, and does that possibly even just hurt her chances where the Mercury might have to just get really pragmatic and say, like, hey, we got, we're going to, maybe it comes to where we're going to keep somebody that we know is going to be here all season? Uh, you could say that, but I don't think so. I think she did done enough in, in the couple of years that she's been here. I think they have a lot of respect for her. And um, she started practicing here yesterday. She was the last one to come to camp. She looked good again. Yet She looked good yesterday. Um, I I don't know. I go back to that thing of falling on the side of you're trying to put a championship team together and I think they're going to want her for that. And I think they're willing to roll with the Eurobasket thing. And, and There's other WNBA players that are going to be gone during that time. Um, so I don't break her when it comes to, for, to her making the roster. I, I think the big question with the roster is going to be Cunningham, Sophie Cunningham, and Carter. Um, I I just don't know at this point. Um, Pittman is alluding to me about some kind of creative way that he's something is going to come down with the roster. I haven't figured out what that is yet. He won't tell me. <laughs> so. We'll see what how that plays out, but I think they would definitely like to keep. I, I think they would definitely like to keep Cunningham. I'm not quite sure yet about Carter. Um, you know, she she had some turnovers at the beginning of the game, the preseason game against the Sparks, and then she played better as the other rookies did their second time out in the second half. But um, but I think that if they could get Smith. And Brianna Turner on the, on the roster. Then the trick is to figure out a way to get one at least one of the other rookie rookie draft picks on the roster. Yeah, and you know we talked about um, we talked about Camille Little's place in this and her the fact that she's guaranteed. You know, I I I just 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 totally just floating this out there, but like I think it'd be really interesting for another team. You know, if they know Phoenix wants, you know, effectively wishes they could release her, you know, somebody with cap room, I think it'd be interesting to just say, hey, trade her to us. And as the cost of that, you have to give us, you know, Vonnie Turner, Cunningham, you know, one of these guards who might be, you know, kind of coming up against it, too. I think that'd be a, a creative way for another team to kind of capitalize on on Phoenix's situation. Well, I hadn't exactly thought about that. I've thought about a bunch of different scenarios here um, and that that could that could be I haven't really thought about packaging two players together I thought more just about maybe a little a little trade for a draft pick but you know whether any other any team wanted to take on her salary and then I wasn't sure if Phoenix could do a deal where they pick up part of the salary I'm not sure how that works in the WNBA exactly um, so I don't know but um like I said, he's, he's mentioned me a couple times about some creative idea they have for roster construction. 
And so I'm kind of kind of waiting to see what the, how that might work out. <laughs> I do like Cunningham, just to go back to her for a second, though. I think she brings all those things that everybody thought about her at Missouri. Um, you could even see him in the first preseason game. And um, I, I, I could see... I could see making a real effort to try to keep Cunningham on the team. I could see definite value in that. Yeah, you know, she she's right at the top of the list for me of someone I wish I could be watching to see how she's doing right now because obviously a lot of these first rounders are, are you know essential locks to make their team. So you know these high second rounders are kind of the next you know the the top uh, the top college players entering the league that you know you're kind of wondering how they'll find their place. Um, so we, we've hit on the roster well, here. It was interesting. It was interesting going into the draft because I think everybody thought that you know with with the eighth pick they were going to take someone like Alana Smith, and then Cunningham was mentioned frequently at the top of the second round as somebody that could be available and, and would make sense for Phoenix. There, the wild card came in with the Brianna Turner thing because of making that trade to trade Gulich that nobody really knew was coming, and now you've got this. You know, these three, plus whatever you think about Carter. And, you know, Jim Pittman said to me he thinks this is the best training camp roster they've ever had, which I, I, I think he might be right. I don't know that that's an overstatement. But, of course, then it creates the issue, all the issues of trying to make, you know, make the cuts at the other, at the other end of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would agree with his assessment. I mean, I think, I think Phoenix... You know, assuming Tarasi's back at some point, they should be considered the heavy title favorites, and even go ahead and put Cambage on the on the aces. I think they should still be considered the favorites. I, I mean, I think they're that good of a team. Where, you know, you just you just you have to make a choice when you're playing them. You know, are you gonna double Tarasi to get the ball out of her hands? Okay. How are you gonna How are you gonna slow six eight roll into the rim to go finish? Okay, you got to leave someone wide open for threes, and that, the, like those, like you know, you I, there's not really a way to stop Phoenix from getting those three shots, and it's it's really tough to force them into bad ones. Well, I agree with that, and then you know, Brondello talks a lot about trying to make this team, you know, go from good to great on defense. I don't know if they're going to get to great on defense, but I do. I have seen improvements that they've made over the last couple of years. Um, and I think Eddie Carson helps in that regard. Um, some of the younger players could help with that. So, uh, and then getting Sancho back. Getting Sancho back is definitely going to help. I mean, that's a big plus right there. January is still really good on defense. So I think they're definitely a, a better defensive team than than, than they were in that 15-16 uh, uh, seasons. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to get you out of here on this. Um, you know, not really getting into the predictions because, you know, obviously for them it's even messier because how do you predict a record when you don't know when Sancho and Diana are going to be back? But instead I wanted to ask who you thought their toughest matchup is in a potential playoff series because I think, to me, the biggest one in Seattle is now off the board without Brianna Stewart because... What made them so tough was they forced Griner to always be on high alert at the three-point line. And I think, you know, a misconception that kind of bothered me with how closely I watched, I've watched Phoenix is that people kind of said, well, oh, she can't do it. It's, it's not that she can't do it. It's really hard to do that, to deal with someone who can be at the three-point line, that can drive, that can cut, and you just always have to be on high alert. Um, 
But that threat isn't there this season without Stewart. So who do you who do you see as like the toughest matchup for Phoenix at this point? Well, um, you know, having just seen LA a couple days ago, uh, you know, I still have respect for LA with with Candace uh, and Neca. Um, but I think I guess I would have to go. I think, well, I think if you talk about the entire league, I think you'd have to maybe say Connecticut is going to be a tough matchup. I really, I really like what Connecticut is doing. Um, and then I, I guess, you know, for sure Vegas, if Vegas ends up with, uh, with Liz and Wilson playing together, you know, I, I, I think that's going to be a challenging combination. Um, and Atlanta probably too, really. I'm not sure which one I put above you know, the others there. But I, I think all of those are going to be challenging, challenging matchups for Phoenix. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably with you on Connecticut. That's probably who I'd say at this at this point uh, as we get ready for the season. And and boy, you know, if, if Cambage ends up in Vegas, I mean, I really hope we see um, a Mercury Aces playoff series with everybody healthy because I think that would just be a, just a total slugfest. I mean, that would be awesome. Oh, that would be great, too. And, and the thing about Connecticut, too, is uh, John Quill Jones, I mean, let's face it, you know, if they can figure out how to maximize her uh, with kind of the, the changes they've made on their roster, she, she's a legitimate, you know, all-star, all-league all caliber player in there. And then adding a midway, I think, is, is another is going to be another big plus for them. So they're, they're, they're definitely... I think everybody needs to be wary of. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think, you know, in Connecticut, I think has the obvious advantage with, with all these injuries that have happened and also with Cambage potentially not even, you know, if she's not playing anywhere, you know, the biggest advantage is getting a top two seed and the best way to secure that is obviously out of your control, but like, can you be healthy and can you have some continuity from the jump? And that's what we saw come to fruition for Seattle last year and Connecticut I think is is for sure the one if you want to talk continuity um, to kind of get get out of the gates um, with a great start um, but to to go to right. Phoenix people, people might forget that Phoenix has had to go through these first and second rounds <laughs> ever since they went to that format and yeah. I, I know they don't want to do that now whether this strategy thing is going to force them into that position where they have to do it again I guess I guess you just have to deal with that and realize that's part of the ramifications of her back surgery. But, uh, I mean, they, they would definitely like to not have to be in, at least not have to play in the first round. I know, you know, play, playing two, those two first round elimination games is, is, is something they want to avoid if they can possibly do that. Yeah, I mean, every, every game for every team carries so much weight because, you know, one mistake, you know, one play could truly cost you you know that could be the difference between being a three and being a two being a six and being a five and and, and down the line um so i guess well and then the, the cumulative effect of playing those games too i i really believe that phoenix has felt like the last couple of years yes they've been good enough and better enough to negotiate those games but it's taken it's taken away from them what the energy and the, and the preparation for the longer series, you know, in the final four, in the semifinals, and I think they they, they realize the, the downside to that. 
Yeah, and and you know the obviously the Tarasi statistic about the winner take all games was great, but you know it's it's kind of this thing where it's just like in reality it's just like you know it's great to have that, but it's only it's it's going to be there until it's not. You know, suddenly you're going to get in one of those games and you know you're going to lose, and then it's like oh our season's over. And you know discuss yeah. discussing the playoff format is one thing, but you know you have to do everything in your power to avoid those and give yourselves the best shot by getting into a series. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. All right, so I'll, I'll get you out of here on this to kind of tie a bow on it. In this in this stretch without Tarasi, I guess, just kind of like, you know, your closing thoughts on maybe just the things you're watching for or just maybe what you say is kind of like, you know, what they should be aiming for maybe record-wise. I'm watching for in the early part is how Bonner, Bonner looked fantastic in the game against the Sparks even, uh, well she did play 30 some minutes, but um, I think she it, it may sound silly given a team with Griner and Tarazi, but I actually think Bonner could be an MVP candidate too <laughs> I, I, I know it sounds ridiculous to say that, but I, I just think she is at, she's just looking uh, she's looking like a player that's reached the peak of her career, and um, this this shifting to the four has worked for her. Even if it's a combination of playing three and four, I think she can be really good. So um, I'm just not putting it all on Griner in this early part of the season. I think it's it's her and Bonner, and then you know January and the supporting group as well. Um, but I, I would really I'm I'm really going to be interested to see if Bonner can come out and play. At, at, at almost an MVP level, right out of the box. Yeah, and and uh, you're not alone on that. There's been a little bit of a little bit of Bonner MVP talk early on, and and you know, all things considered, there Phoenix isn't in the worst spot without Tarasi to have two players that they can really uh, really scale up in their role if they need to. But yeah, uh, I agree with that, and uh, you know, I think record wise. Um, you know, I would say if they're, you know, even a few games over 500, I mean, if they're, I, I don't know, it's hard to say exactly before Taraji comes back, but let's just say they're three to five games over 500 when Taraji comes back, I think they're in great shape. I think what you don't want is you don't want to be, you know, dragging around 500 or below. You want to, you want to be, it shows some positive positive uh, momentum out of this early part of the season and then now you're adding the WNBA's all-time career scoring leader healthy and rested for the for the second half of the season you know I think that's where they really want to be yeah and hopefully they can uh yeah you know be be in a position to work work her back in when when you know the team isn't feeling stressed about their record um but Jeff thank you for your time if you if listeners if you don't read Jeff already, follow him on Twitter, um, read his work year round. You're not just getting Mercury coverage, but you're getting Arizona state and byproduct of that, the entire PAC 12, you know, one of the best conferences in the country. So, um, be sure to follow along with, with all the great work that Jeff does. Jeff, thanks for coming on today. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Ben. I really appreciate it.